Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so excited to have you here with me today as I interview my new friend, Phil Singleton. And Phil is a web designer, SEO expert, and author of the book, SEO for Growth. Since 2005, Phil has owned and operated a digital agency based in Kansas City. He has become an authority on all things search, SEO, WordPress, and content marketing, among other things. Uh, as well as podcast guesting as well, which we'll talk about. Most importantly, Phil is also a husband and a father of twin boys, Eli and Austin, who are eight. Phil, welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Thank you. That's the best intro that I've, I've had so far in, in doing my own guesting campaigns. I really appreciate that. I'm blushing. Well, thank you, Phil. I appreciate that. I actually pride myself in uh, just taking apart people's bios that they send me and writing my own intros because whatever they send me is just not good enough for me. And I like to surprise nice. people with some good stuff. So man, we, we just met a few minutes ago uh, because uh, you got booked through your, your booking company on my podcast. And we can talk about that because I think it's interesting for those out there, especially with podcasts or starting a podcast. But we've already in like eight minutes of getting to know each other, talked about so many interesting things that I'm interested in getting into. But let's start with a little bit of background, if you wouldn't mind, share some of your origin story and how you got to where you are today. Right, so um, I went to school for business. I got a degree in finance, kind of rolled out of that into an insurance job um, as we were talking in the green room before the show. And it didn't take me too long. I guess it I don't know, depends on, on your time, your sense of time, but the three, three-ish years, four years, um, I realized pretty quickly in my early 20s that working for the insurance industry wasn't going to be my destiny or my career path. So, and not only that, I, you know, I came out of school, I don't know, when I, was in, when I was in high school or college even, I felt like I had a lot more confidence than I actually had. And I realized when I got out, there was this rude awakening of I wasn't, you know, I had a lot of anxiety actually, and lower, a lot lower confidence than I felt like I had when I was in school. So that combined, I think, with working at this insurance uh, company, I realized towards the end of my third or you know, fourth year, year there that um, I had to do something different. And I just drastically at one point made a decision to pack my bags and move off to Asia. And it sounds cool now, but people didn't think it was too. My friends and family were like, what the hell are you doing? Have you lost your mind? For me, I was really thinking like, I, didn't, I looked around the office and I was like, these guys have been there for 20, 30 years. They just, you know, I'm not knocking the insurance industry or any corporate job or whatever. I just felt like this was not my destiny. It's somebody else's. And I was going to have to do something drastic to, you know, to do something that I was going to find end up loving maybe. And, and I ended up taking a shot and just kind of jumping out into the world. I moved out to um, uh, Taipei, Taiwan of all, all places. I thought about Japan. I thought about China. And I was like, well, I think I'll probably learn. I want to learn Mandarin because, you know, China is probably going to be pretty important someday. And I didn't want to go to China back then because this is going back like 20 years uh, because yeah. it was, it just wasn't the place to be for Westerners. And it was, you know, a lot, you know, now it's a very wealthy place, especially in the metropolitan areas. It wasn't yep. like that. They grew, grew very quickly. So I ended up moving to Taipei, Taiwan because they speak Mandarin there and it was just a lot more advanced in terms of being Westernized, but still not a lot of, of English speakers. So what great way to immerse myself and do it. So I did it. I stayed there for two years, went back, got my MBA, got a job out of grad school. It took me right back to Taipei, Taiwan, and then stayed there another eight years. 
got fluent in Taiwan. So I got to be fluent in Mandarin, ended up having some great opportunities that I took took advantage of. I think most importantly, going in and immersing myself into another culture really helped me grow, adapt. All of a sudden, though, what really changed, I think, my entire life of that whole stint, it was I just gained an enormous amount of confidence. You know, being able yeah. to go out and succeed in somewhere else where I didn't know anybody really made me realize myself as, wow, you've really accomplished something here. And I no longer really kind of became scared or anxious when talking to people because there's literally there's a period of my life where I couldn't hold a conversation without like breaking out in a sweat and like just yeah. talk basically. And that all changes when you get, you know, when you become more confident in who you are and have some confidence in what you do. So that's my biggest takeaway from kind of making that big, bold move, I guess, out to Taiwan. Plus, I have no regrets in doing it. I mean, yeah. met my wife. Well, my you kids, met your wife you know? there as well, right? Yeah. Exactly. So uh, That's awesome. And I, I, I can appreciate that so much. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I mean, I, I love to travel. And uh, I think I've been to 25 countries now, including China many times. Taipei once for a very short stint. Um, Japan a couple of times, which I love. So a few places in Asia and just getting to experience these different cultures really opens your eyes to what else is out there going on in the world. I always wanted to actually live in a different country and, and do business there and really experience it like you did. I didn't, I haven't done that yet. It may still happen, but I really admire that you went and did that and, and can see all the things that you probably learned from having that experience. Yeah, so it was where, um, no regrets. Where did you go from there? How did you get into, into this SEO marketing field where you've become now such an expert? Well, that last couple, like three years or so in Taiwan, lots of winding turns and a lot of great experience. But the very end of it, I actually had this software company basically fall into my lap because it was kind of end of the dot-com era and I was doing some business development. It just so happened this one company had to kind of close down in the States and move somewhere international where the, the business environment was more favorable for them. And I literally had been doing some work and these guys were like, Phil, you're there. You're at the right place at the right time. Um, we need you to set up a shop for us you know, immediately. It was going to be just a fairly substantial thing. And of course, I had a lot of confidence at that time. I looked him in the eye and said, yes. Of course, there was still a little bit of me that was like, perhaps had a little bit of pee running down my legs. You know, like, can I actually do this? But I mean, I took the bull by the horns and, and really said, yes, I can do this. And ended up having investment in this company, all this kind of stuff and 25 employees and running it most of it in, in another language. But what I learned at that time, we were selling consumer software, was I saw how powerful Google was. Again, this is going back 15 years ago um, in terms of the purchase process. We were selling consumer software and most of it was through affiliate sales. Again, this is back when AdWords pay-per-click were like 25 cents a click and that seemed like outrageous. <laughs> now that you can pay 30 or $100 a click for certain things. But um, I still saw at that time, I was like, wow, Google has a, an enormous power over the purchase process. And But the big thing really was in this business, I saw that we were selling a $99 piece of software online and our biggest affiliates were getting 50% of the sale and we were getting 50%. I had 25 employees, investors, what have you, and our little piece of that pie went down to almost nothing with these other guys who had forums and the precursors, the blogs and all this who controlled the traffic, they were getting 50% of the, and we were writing checks for like 50, 60, $80,000 a month. And we were like one of their own, you know, they had several affiliates. So I was like, Holy cow. I want to, we want to be on the other side of the equation. So for lots of different reasons, we ended up wrapping that up and selling that company. And it was just kind of right place at the right time. We, my wife and I figured it was time to try and start having a family. And, and we figured, hey, let's not do this in Taipei. Let's go back to the States and move back in 2005. And then what got me really on this path was it was a great payday. The um, time that I spent in Taiwan, especially that last gig, able to come back and buy a house kind of in 2005 and stuff like that. But I 
didn't have enough to like stop and, you know, support us for the next 40 or 50 years or whatever. So I figured I'd have right. to do something else. Yeah. What ended up happening though, is I figured I bought this, this little used sports car and I was talking to this guy who was an auto detailer and he was doing these detail jobs, like clean, prepping cars for sale for like 25 bucks a car. And I was like, you're killing yourself. If you had your own website or could reach consumers on your own, you could probably be selling these for a hundred or $200 retail for sale. So and he said, how we can do this. Anyway, push came to shove and we, um, I said, let me build you this one website. Of course, again, I made a promise I couldn't not keep. I was, I'm an outsider. I came into this from the outside in. No idea how to build a website. I did have some experience running a software company, but that really, it was because of the right place at the right time. I'm not a coder, I'm not a designer. Right. And of course, at this time, I'm, I'm over 30 years old. I made this promise to this guy in 2005 that I'm going to build you a website. And I didn't know if I could do it, but I figured, you know what? Even if I fail on this and can't DIY it, I'll hire somebody else and I'll make good on this promise. I did it. About 60 days later, he calls me up. I could hear the emotion in his voice, almost like cracking. I could hear the, feel like the tear running down his cheek. He's like, Phil, I don't know what you've done, but you've changed my business and you've changed my life. So at that moment, I was like, I know what I want to be when I grow up now, right? Right, yeah. I made this huge impact on this guy's life. And to the point where he's a grown man, he's crying on the phone. Yeah. And that was the most rewarding profession. I relive it like it's every day. I think about that because it motivates me. But it was a huge professional rewarding experience. On the other hand, I was like, oh my God, I can make some really good money at this. So the world's ugliest one-page Microsoft front page, if you've ever remember that, that um, software that's now defunct, yeah. I made this purple and yellow auto detailing website that basically rolled into a few more barter deals and um, into the agency that I had today. Now, I will say, I haven't really gotten serious about my current business until, and this gets into the family aspect, until about three years ago when my kids went to school full-time. Because my dad was in the military and not around much. He was in Vietnam. And then he had a corporate job where he went from the bottom to the top and worked his butt off for 32 years. Great provider. Didn't see him a whole lot. Um, mm. So when I had my kids, I was like, I'm going to be there every freaking possible minute I can. So yeah. working from home, taking jobs as I needed them, but still being able to spend every minute with my kids. Never spent one day away from them in the first seven years of their life. Six wow. years, I should say. And then went to every doctor's appointment, every single. So I really tried to spend every minute of that, not because my dad did, but I just wanted to do it differently, right? Yeah. But it all changed when they went to kindergarten full time. Yeah. Because then I'm like, dang, that's, I can't be like, if they're going right. to, you know, call the cops if I try and poke out the window and watch them now. Um, but <laughs> and you got a lot like, more time on your hands now. Exactly. Got office space, started hiring people, got a lot more serious about this part of it. And that's really what my life's become. It's like my kids and my job. And I still have a lifestyle enough thing where I can spend time and take off and do whatever I, I want that way. But I used to be a lot more into like, I played golf and did a lot more into sports. I don't watch TV like and spend all my time watching. I'm either engaged with my kids or I'm working. And that sound, might sound like a sad life to some folks, but it makes me happy. It's like what I like to do. But that, I think it gets back into the business thing. It's like kind of, you know, for five or six years there, I kind of just, worked as I wanted to or needed to. And my kids kind of drove the show because I wanted to spend every minute I could mm -hmm. um, being involved in those years. And now that I've got the time, I put that extra time, um, dump it back into work. So yeah, that's excellent. A lot of people don't have that opportunity or don't give themselves that opportunity, or maybe don't make that choice and might regret it later. And you did the thing that you knew you wanted to do that you would want yourself to do and wouldn't regret, which is to spend that time with your kids and not work too much like your dad did, which is incredible because a lot of people might just follow what they did. And I try to do that too. I travel quite a bit for my business. So I can't say I've been home every day of my kid's life, but when I am home, I work from home and I want to be with them. 
I don't work much on the weekends. We spend a lot of time together. We have we do a lot of fun things together. I, I just think that's so important and you only get one opportunity. So I try to make the most of that as well. This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit AdvantagePerformance.com or call us at 415-925-6832. And now back to the show. I want to go back to getting started in this and maybe I'm not thinking about it the right way because times were a little bit different when you built that first website, but you must have done something else beyond just putting up a website. How did that change his business so that he was, I assume, either getting more customers or higher price customers? Well, first of all, back then, I mean, I I was lucky because I think SEO was kind of really, people didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. But I did. I mean, I knew right away because for a couple of years before that, I could still kind of the power of how it worked. And I had a pretty good understanding of what we're getting rankings and things just from, from playing around. Because it was weird because when I got into it, SEO is still really young and I did, I saw that people were coming and visiting us to Google, but nobody really knew what it was because SEO is one of these things where it's like, you look to like an IT person. That's what we have. We had like coders and graphic designers and neither, that was the person you would ask, you know, back in the early 2000s, but they didn't really know. You just, you didn't know anybody else asked. It had to do with the computers. So let me ask my IT guy how this works. So I kind of had to kind of figure some of that out on my own because back then there weren't courses or people or authorities on the subject. Everybody was still trying to kind of figure it out. But I had a really good understanding like, okay, I followed the ROI trail back to websites and that's where you have to start to have a chance to show up for these Google searches. And that's how you can get access to customers, especially if you show up. And back then it was easier to some degree because there wasn't a whole lot of competition. So I knew the basics of it in 2005 to be able to set up a basic website, optimize it, build some links to it, and just dom- really quickly be able to come up into some searches to make this guy's phone ring out of nowhere, right? Because he wasn't going to put it. So that really what the difference was. Is, and I think it comes into anything these days. I mean, really to me, it comes down to like lead generation and process, right? And if you can help somebody solve getting their ideal customers to them, that's a big part of the process course, then it gets to be like, if you got to careful what you wish for, because I get into a situation now, where we've got great lead. I'm a, that's probably where my biggest strength is on lead generation. And of course, on the back end process, if you don't have enough, you can choke on not being able to scale that way because you can't deliver on the amount of leads that you're given. But in this case, that's what it came down to. It came down to, okay, I built up a website. I applied some basics. I was doing it back in 2005. It's a lot easier to compete online then because now it's like where all the action is and people get it. Back then, we still had the yellow pages. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's people were still investing in that stuff. And right. And now everybody's got a website and I actually got a phone book delivered yesterday and I was like, really? They actually, <laughs> um, it's hilarious. I've got one of my off that props my, uh, one of my monitors up. Yeah. But, um, I was like, how can they even, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but anyway, but yeah, everybody has websites. So I'm sure you've had to adapt and change a lot of what you do with SEO and keep up with a lot of different trends and things to help your clients and have the authority to write the book. Um, it's the gift that keeps on giving, you know, because Google's, it just, they change all the time. They're always trying to make the results better. There's always people trying to game the system. So um, it's not like one of these static things where you learn at once. You kind of have to keep your eye on, the, on it all the time and then make adjustments where you can. So, 
Yeah. So is that what the, um, you have that book SEO for growth. Is that all about helping business owners improve their search results? It really is, but it's also trying to get people to have what I would, we call like in the book an SEO mindset um, because there's all sorts of things you can get in terms of the work that you do for your own personal authority or your, your company that people don't realize how many other wins they can get out of it. And if you think about your efforts the way I think Google does, it helps, I think, you realize that you can get more and re- repurpose things in a way that can actually get you some higher return on investment. But one of the things that we've done in the book is I think a lot of people's perception of what SEO is the old school perception of it. And that is it's tweaking and doing things under the hood of your website and it's backlinking or other kind of under the hood black art type stuff that helps you, you know, get that kind of visibility. And it used to be like, I mean, that kind of stuff drove the industry for the you know, first 15 years of its existence. But the cool thing is about five or six years ago, Google kind of changed the way it rated websites in a big way. They started, instead of just being fully reward-based, people were gaming it so hard, they came back and said, hey, wait a minute, you know, we've got companies like eBay and Overstock.com and JCPenney and a bunch of other ones that are getting involved in kind of this gray hat, black hat stuff. We've got a problem here. And they went and started making their algorithms more punitive. So they started to take, they named one that one of the, they named all their algorithm secret code names that come in. But you know, a big one that really helped change the industry a lot was Panda. And that's an algorithm that went in and kind of looked at your website to see if you were keyword stuffing or creating a bunch of like thin pages that were just for the purpose of ranking and had no user value. And they had another algorithm called Penguin that went and checked all the backlinks they were pointing back to your website. So for a long time, a lot of SEO was backlink driven, hiring somebody offshore to create a bunch of shill websites or buy websites on unrelated sites. And Google just basically counted them as votes. But again, they came back and looked at this and said, wait a minute, you're gaming the system. Your website's got stuff that's not there. It's only for gaming or you've got backlinks. You've got no business pointing back to your website that aren't related or not from authority websites. So what happened, you know, five years ago, so it became more punitive and it really changed the industry because people that were using these tactics all of a sudden just like dropped overnight, lost hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in some cases because they were using these tech techniques who are essentially gaming the system. But the beauty about what happened is they made the internet better. Basically they put, they always were talking about content being King, but they actually changed the algorithms to make it King. Yeah. So results are a lot higher quality. Right. Everything internet's I think's gotten better. It's gotten fo- people focused on creating a lot better content. Mm. It's got them the, away. You know, it brought a lot of that shady offshore stuff back onshore. SEOs become a lot more consulting based and a lot more content driven. So yeah. it's it's exciting that way for me because we all had to kind of do whatever we did in the first few years because they said whatever we had to move the needle for the client. So everybody pushed the envelope a little bit in some way. It's just sometimes people went way overboard but we all felt those original algorithms that came out that were more punitive, but it's really made the industry a lot better. It's made content better. And it's one of the impetus we had for writing the book. So the book's really all about what things that you can do right now to actually get sustainable results for your website. And it's really interesting because if you lay them out, like we've done in the book, a lot of the things that help you get rankings and get, get more clicks from search results in Google are things that look like holistic digital marketing. So it's about creating a website and making it a publishing platform and a referral source for all your content. It's about blogging. It's about social media participation. It's about online reputation management. So all these things that you start laying them out, it just looks like good digital marketing. And what we do with the books, we kind of use SEO as a way to look at everything holistically and tie it all together. Because, you know, a big problem, for example, is you get a lot of people that still treat their websites like a digital brochure. 
static, no blogging. Mm -hmm. If they do anything, they'll just post up on Facebook where people can see it in real time. Right. And it just kind of fades away and never becomes searchable answer for somebody saying the best way to do that, put it on your website, link it to social media and make people come back. So the whole idea about websites now is your own digital asset. It's an investment. It's not an expense. Right. And make people come back to your website and tie it all together. Because when you do that, you get a chance to have your, your, your website kind of be an archive that can be searched and indexed by Google and become an answer to somebody's question and problem. It doesn't happen if you just post directly to, to Facebook or Twitter or some other places. So right. you got to make your website the referral source for everything. And that's really a lot what the book's about, how to tie those things all together and how to kind of think about things the way Google does and develop an SEO mindset. But I think still a lot of people are still let me do this. And they've got this one dimensional approach to like launches of content and stuff, but there's lots of ways you can kind of tie it all together and get more wins out of it. For people listening that are kind of, we have a lot of like aspiring entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs with maybe a basic website they put together. What's the biggest tip you would give them in terms of enhancing their, you know, search results is just creating more and better content and not worrying too much about links and all that stuff, but just having good stuff out there or is there something else they should be thinking about? Yeah. I mean, for one, I just, you wouldn't tell people that think about your website as a, as an asset and something you would invest in and you invest in with content. So, you know, a lot of people, again, if they've got any kind of website, they still treat it kind of like a digital business card and aren't, you know, like a podcaster like pretty much me. Yeah. Well, no, but you're in there, but at least you're, so you're on your site, you've got it right. But you're actually anybody who's got their own podcast is an advanced content marketer. Right. And the podcasting is like, we were talking in the green room for, for the most of the guests and the host is kind of the gift that keeps on giving. But if I'm an entrepreneur and just wanted to get started, I mean, one of the things that I tell people, even if you're like in your job right now and you're in this insurance industry and you're in a cubicle right now and you've got, you want to change your life and get out and try and do something else. Everybody I think should try and start their own website for something for your personal branding and authority Mm just to learn the process, setting up a WordPress website and populating it and being able to how to learn to post and maybe tie it in to social media. I mean, it's a skill that I think everybody needs to have. In fact, um, one recent hire that we had, I said, what, what, cause she was coming in from another industry. I said, we're going to build you a website. You're going to walk yourself through it because first of all, you're going to have this as an asset to take with you if you stay here or not. But secondly, it's going to help you get up to speed and, and learn the importance and, and be able to kind of talk about it a little bit more. So everybody, I think, should do that almost no matter what as a way to kind of document what they've done. Because that's what, I mean, in fact, if I were, if I had 20 years worth of content on my, just personally, which I don't have, you know, I'd have an asset right now that way. So I think everybody should invest yeah. in a personal content or, or at least some kind of a, maybe a business, you know, idea or business, small business website. Right. And then focus on blogging. I, mean, I think blogging is still the heart and soul of content marketing. And I'd love to walk you through a four-step process I have that starts with your website and okay. blogging and ends with podcasting. Okay, let's do and that. Not, I, I want to ask you about podcasting too, so we'll use that as the, the transition. You asked a great question about, so I think websites, it's the one thing that you own. It's your own digital asset. You post up on third-party platforms. It's not really yours. So you got to have your website, right? You set it up. You're going to do some basic optimization on it, try and do some research to figure out who your ideal people are. I mean, you can do that through Keyword Planner on AdWords. And there's all sorts of keyword tools you can research online to try and figure out how your ideal clients are searching for you. And you just want to set up your website, make sure you got the right pages and that kind of stuff and, and make sure that it's, again, it's having an SEO mindset. Like don't just post on your website the stuff that you want. Try and do a little bit of research to see how people are searching for stuff and weave those keywords into your content naturally. And that's how you kind of get a win-win instead of just doing it as if you had a captive audience. So start with that. The second thing is to do commit to a blogging 
strategy that's going to end up, here's how we do this. Any blogging that we do really for my own business or for my clients is we blog in a series. The series is going to be maybe one to 10 or 15 blog posts, right? So instead of just doing random blog posts, one off, maybe once a week or once a month or whatever you can commit to, you want to sit down and say, how can I structure a blog series in a way that looks like a table of contents, right? So I'm going to post these out and commit to a schedule so that at the end in stage two, you can stitch these all together into an ebook that can be used as a call to action on your website for, you know, build up subscribers or emails and that kind of stuff. So just so you have this extra benefit. The next thing you want to do after that is take that ebook that you've created. And again, you did it in kind of baby steps. So it didn't feel like a whole lot of work, right? You're just doing it in little pieces at a time. At the end, you actually got a whole book together. Whereas if you just did 15 random blog posts in a way, there's no way you could turn those into an ebook, right? It just wouldn't flow. But if you think about it ahead of time, it doesn't take that much more and you can actually get a nice ebook out of it. Then you want to go and turn that ebook into a Kindle. Pretty easy. All sorts of help out there. You can literally go onto Fiverr and get somebody for 50 bucks, you know, to help you make a nice PDF for your and design a cover and then actually help you spin it up into a Kindle and then launch yourself up onto Amazon, right? Which will give you an author page, which is awesome because all of a sudden you start now to use that as a way to position yourself as an authority. Once you become an author, and this isn't something that's way out there, literally anybody can do this, right? Then when you go out, the next phase of this is to try and figure out how you can use that piece of authority, that launchable piece of content that you have to try and get yourself booked on podcasts. And again, this is kind of a hot trend. We talked about this, Andy, ahead of time. Podcasting started in 2005, really hot for a while, died down when social media blew up. Last two or three years, completely on fire and yeah. really is never going to change now because it's just the way people consume content. So, right. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of podcasts coming on all the time. A lot of them die off, but a lot of people are committed to it. And a lot of these folks need to have guests on them. So the ones that get right. more established, of course, get a lot more guest requests, but there's a lot of them that are actually need guests. Yeah. So the beauty about this approach, and I think this is the fastest way for anybody to gain authority, is to start with this, start with your website. Again, use it as a publishing platform, turn it into an ebook, and then launch this guesting campaign. Then you can go out and find a way to, and one of the best ways is, I think you, I don't know if you saw ours, Andy, or not, but we, you create these little one sheets for yourself that look yeah. nice and professional, pitch it in a way that gives you an angle to the guest show. And the reason you want to get booked on, on podcasts, there's actually almost too many. One is obviously you're booked on a show, so it's a nice, highly high production value piece of content. You get access to a trusted audience. And that's, I think, one of the things people think about first off is I get guested on somebody's show. How big is the show one? And, and can I get, uh, you know, how many people are going to listen to it? That's really a great benefit, but it's only one of many, many, many things. You got to think about what happens when you actually get to be a guest on somebody's show. It's about you. And they're actually going to write up show notes for you and put them on a website or on their website. Those show notes, a lot of times, are going to have natural earned backlinks back to your social profiles and your websites because you mentioned them in the show. Those are the purest, most valuable, relevant forms of backlinks that actually Google wants you to get that you'll ever be able to get. And you got it really easily because you spent 20 or 40 minutes with somebody and they gave it to them and you didn't have to pay them for it. A lot of times now when people are out there talking about backlinks, they're trying to do things like place, do guest blogging and all this kind of stuff, getting really tired, really spammy. That Google just came out yesterday and said, hey, there's people out there that are paying for guest blog posts and they're trying to find, figure out ways to filter that out. Um, up on search engine roundtable and search engine land, there's actually um, a lot of talk coming directly from Google about how they should handle 
people buying links through guest blog posts. So, mm. but this kind of thing is actually a natural personal connection. Somebody invited you on their show because you thought they had an angle, they're writing about it. it this is the kind of stuff that Google actually wants you to be doing. So yeah. get a great, powerful backlink on it. Of course, you just show amplification. There's targeted traffic you get to your website. We talked to Andy earlier. I've actually used this as part of my reputation strategy. Yeah. Um, try and bring your best tips and advice to the show. You impress the host. The host then has a reason to review you. And of course, mm-hmm. you would, would reciprocate and review the host. It's a great way to actually accumulate and start getting reviews. Because you know, let's face it, our whole economies come a, rev- a review based it's all based economy. on reviews now yeah exactly amazon local services trip right, advisor nice. i mean people Whatever. just look for that right yeah. to take the risk and the guesswork out of decisions so you can use this kind of a process to all of a sudden quickly build up your reputation in a way that's natural and takes you from no reviews to many reviews in a period of like over the course of a year maybe months and type of thing. super huge way to hack you know, hack your way into authority. That by itself is worth kind of the guesting campaigns we're talking about. But again, great backlinks that are going to help get you organically out there and that kind of stuff. Other things that we've done that that are super with with respect to this, most podcasts that I've been on, some of them do probably about 10 or 15 or 20%, they'll actually transcribe transcribe the whole show notes. Mm, Yeah. And some don't. Do you do it or not? No, I I tried one time using like Trent or something and I thought it was terrible. And I thought I, I don't really know why I'm going to do this. So I stopped. So one of the things I've done is I've gone back and said, Hey, at my cost, let me transcribe the show notes. Mm. Then I'll place them up on my website and I'll give you a backlink back and I get a free blog post out of it. Mm. It's not duplicate content. It's totally unused, great quality stuff. We had this unique interview, right? Exactly. Now the host is getting another benefit because you just actually, they're the ones that actually give you the most. They don't, I mean, a lot of times people don't realize how much benefit they're actually giving, but it's a way to kind of give back. But it also gives you a great quality piece of long form blog post to put on your website. I did one, I just started doing this. And the first one I posted up on my website, I did on this podcast called the, the WP Chick. And two weeks after I posted it, my 8,000 word transcription ranks number two for the keyword that I went after just because I had it and I barely did any work for it. So that in and of itself, again, is another powerful thing where you can actually repurpose the content. And again, you got a transcription is going to cost anywhere from a dollar a minute, I guess, to maybe this new Temi automation thing people are using is like a, a 10 cents a minute or something like that. But wow. the point is great free content that you can get out of, again, a 40 minute Right. Uh, show. So yeah, it's, it's just been the gift. I mean, for me, it's like we we're doing this strategy for our clients. Now where we take them that through that blogging website, build blogging strategy. And for me, the beauty is when we get our clients on guesting campaigns, they're actually doing some of their own work mm. because we get them booked on the shows. They talk and they're actually the ones doing that piece of it and they're involved. And the end result is, much better content's being produced because it's coming from the source, but we're doing it in a way that's, that is respectful of their time. You talk about trying to get like an authority to write a thousand, fifteen hundred word blog post. Nobody wants to, I mean, it's just almost impossible. Yeah. Get them to talk in an interview for 20 or 40. I mean, it's easy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually, I'm banking on that because I'm, I've got this podcast, the entrepreneur hot seat, which is kind of a hobby for me. It's fun. And I'm hoping to, you know, contribute a lot of value to my listeners who are entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, but I'm starting a new podcast for my business. And it is all with the purpose of booking guests who I want to talk to for, you know, from a sales perspective, who are my good prospects and, and give them an opportunity to speak 
And then I'm, I'm able to build that relationship. So I mean, there's so many different ways you could use podcasting to, to help your business. I'm still really excited about the medium. Well, that's the other thing about the guesting piece too, is like we were talking about before. Um, I wish I would have had my own podcast before I did these 40 or probably I'm closer to 50 now because I probably could have easily and freely leveraged other people's audiences because some people even now are probably resonating with what I'm saying and mm. I might have scared a few people off with how I rant or talk, but a yeah. few of them are going to be like, hey, that sounds cool. I might check. If he had a podcast, I'd subscribe to it. Right. So I could have easily picked up hundreds, if not maybe a few thousand listeners, right. because every time you guessed, you're talking to actual podcast consumers that would probably consume another podcast if they, you know, they heard from somebody that they thought was interesting. So yeah, I missed the boat on that one, but you can see in my background, your listeners can't see it, but I've got one, like you just said, local business leaders podcast, the whole purpose of it, half of it, I should say, is what you just said, giving me access to local people. Cause you know, if you want to build, can I build you a new website? They hang up the phone. Right. Interview your CEO to be on the local business leaders podcast. Okay. You know what I mean? It's one of those access things, right? I love it. Yeah. That's uh, exactly what I'm trying to do. The, the last question on the topic that I love, you mentioned something before we started recording about how it's kind of changed the way you approach business and conversations now about your business. So, you know, coming at it, it sounds like you were a pretty self-described shy introvert who was, uh, you know, spending a lot of time behind a computer and now you're getting, you're out there, you're having on 50 podcasts talking about your business. So what has that done for you? Yeah, I guess it's made me grow personally, but I actually, what really drew me out of my shell was Google because, you know, when they made those algorithmic changes, what ended up happening is, you know, I used to have my first website. I didn't have a blog on it. I didn't have my face on it. I didn't have my name on it because I could rank my website and other people's websites just from the bat cave. You know what I mean? But then all of a sudden they started really meaning content was king, which means to do that, we have to put ourselves out there. And they really, if you, I mean, honestly, the best thing I think people should read in terms of any kind of digital marketing thing is read the Google search evaluators guidelines. It's a 160 page PDF that reads pretty quick, but Google actually hires about 15,000 independent contractors. They pay them 10 to $15 an hour to manually check the quality of search results. So they literally give you the manual to what they're trying to achieve. If you read this, this manual, the biggest thing they try and impress on people is look for the website and remember this acronym, EAT, Education, Authority, and Trust. So they're literally looking for people to go onto websites and they want to know who wrote it. Can you see the people on the website? What's their about us like? Um, are, they, are they blogging? Are they doing things to present themselves in authority? Are they doing, do they have badges and testimonials? So they almost give you like the blueprint to do this. So in my case, I had to go out and do this to provide Google the proof that they needed to rank my website because that's what they're targeting the algorithms to do. And they've actually hired a whole army of people to double check the algorithms to make sure they're doing it. So it's really a fascinating document if you read through it because it's, it's meant to be read for like just outsiders. Just yeah, for 10 bucks an hour, $15 an hour, please grade this website and tell us if it's a quality website and it's trustworthy and here's how you do it step by step. And if you think about it and read it kind of like as a web designer or a marketer, it's almost like the golden ticket, you know, but you asked these, how did it change my business? It's made me realize that, you know what, to succeed now, the way people buy, we talked about like buying on reviews. They want to know who the people are, who the talent is, who the authority behind the business is and that kind of stuff. That's what gets people to, to buy from other people. 
And it's also what Google wants to, to do to rank websites. So yeah. they actually are the ones that chase me out of my hole, so to speak. Right. And the stuff that's been working for my own business is the same thing we do it for clients. So that's wholly basically changed my entire approach where we're just like, got to put yourself out there more and position yourself. That's what we call that. It's basically an authority-driven engagement. Yeah. It's hard to tell. If you tell people they got a blog or be on podcasts, this kind of stuff, they don't really get it. But if we say it's important for you to position yourself as an authority in your niche, they get it, right? Because they want to be authorities. And then, then then we just then it's easy to talk about the tactics to get there versus trying to tell them, here's the tactics you need to do um, to, to make it happen. So, Oh, that's awesome. Really interesting, fascinating stuff, thinking about Google and everything else. Um, SEO, fascinating, really. SEO, <laughs> I do. You're too I, kind. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest, Phil. You know, I, your service reached out. I accepted. I don't accept many these days. Like I said, I have a lot of people reaching out to me now. And I don't say this to, to brag. It's actually quite a challenge and kind of annoying, but a lot of people reaching out to, to come on the podcast. But I was somewhat intrigued by uh, you know, your background and expertise, something I wanted to know more about it. But still, I was like, ah, SEO, is that going to be interesting? But this was, uh, this was really fascinating. And I, I hope it was uh, interesting and valuable to our listeners. So we got to wrap things up. Phil, for anyone listening who wants to find out about, more about you and your business and maybe how to use your service or SEO to grow their business, where do they go to find out more? Well, check out kcwebdesigner.com. That, that, that's kind of where it all started. But I actually, if you look at the website, I actually rebuilt that thing just recently according to the new Google search quality guidelines. I, I literally read the, they did a new one here in February and it was like, oh my God, they, they made these major changes. I'm going to do it. So I put, now my whole website stacked with like authority and trust and it's less about services you know, and more about testimonials and proof and that kind of stuff. So that it's kind of a nice little case study in and of itself, but that's caseywebdesigner.com. Check out seoforgrowth.com. That's um, the book that we wrote. Everything that I talked about in this interview is laid out in that book. And in fact, I did this because we get, we get inundated with leads and I'm telling and people are like, well, we don't have your services sound great. We can't do it. Can we do some of it ourselves? And I'm just like, yes, please buy the book. Literally at the back of them, there's like two pages. All the tools I use are in here. The actual tactics that we use are listed on two pages. You can do some of this, some of your stuff you can't, if you, if you haven't, it's all in there. That's the whole purpose of it. And check out, you know, we talked about, I told you podcast guesting has changed my business and I think it's changed my life to some degree. It's really changed the direction I'm taking the company to the extent that I created our own booking service called podcastbookers.com. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is we've really tried to take that to more of an SEO approach because I think a lot of the booking services don't tell people all the additional value you can get out of it. For example, I told you, say, hey, you should be asking for reviews on the, the, yeah. the time on the show. Almost nobody does that. And there's a huge opportunity just there. If you right. think about it with an SEO mindset, that enormous value because reviews are like, Man, rankings and reviews, that's the holy grail. Showing up organically and then having the social proof behind it makes the phone ring like nothing else out there. So, so I should be asking you, asking you to review my podcast. When you're, I just wrote one. <laughs> oh, you're so good. You're so it's all good. pre-typed and ready to go. So but that, that stuff on right. the pot, if you ever get into guesting or that kind of stuff, yeah. we've got it kind of an SEO, I guess, focused type of a service on that, you know, trying to help people that you know, want to try and build their authority that way. Oh, it's great. And, and tip that I've been learning, you know, if you want people to leave reviews for you, write reviews for them. You said you just wrote a review for me. I see that you've left me a review. I'm going to leave a review for you because I want, exactly. to, I want to reciprocate. I want to do something nice for you. So, Phil, thanks so much. This, is, uh, this has been a blast. Hope you had fun. You're the man, Andy. This was a blast too. I always get all pumped up. I'm all like, yeah, let's go take over the world. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> take care. All right, man. 
Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Take care.